Welcome to the Local Legends podcast, where you hear the stories from local legends of Australian running that you simply always wanted to hear. My name is Ollie Jones, and I'm the head coach of cross country and middle distance running at the Anglican Church Grammar School in Brisbane, aka Churchy. Today in episode one, I'm genuinely excited to bring to you an interview with Australian runner, Kai Robinson. At the end of 2019, Kai graduated from Churchy and only just over a year later, transferred to Stanford University in the US. It is there now that he combines his academic studies with his amazing physical ability and motivation in the area of middle distance running. So sit back, relax and enjoy hearing from one of Australia's most promising up and coming athletes. Hey mate, how you doing? Doing good, how are you? Yeah, excellent. What's happening? You've been out for dinner? Yeah, just got back from, had a workout and then went to dinner, got back. That's about it. Awesome. Yeah, so mate, just tell us, what's what's the time over there and the weather like at the moment? Uh, it's currently 7.40. I think today it was, like that's at night. Um, Today it was a bit chilly. Maybe got like to a high of 16 degrees Celsius, I'd say. And it was windy, so you felt it. But overall, it's it's a lot nicer here than it could be in other places. Like when we're traveling this season, we're going to like Washington and Arkansas, and it's snowing, and it's not not pleasant from from a Brisbane standpoint. But you know, it's a nice experience, so it, it toughens you up, I guess. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But I'm, I'll tell you, I'm envious about those temperatures at the moment um, and you've gone through a, a Brisbane and Aussie summer when it gets up to, you know, 30, 35 yeah. degrees. So I'm sure yeah. it helps training with those temperatures. Um, yeah. And obviously a bit going on over the last few years, you've, you, did you move away at the end of 2020? Uh, yes. Yeah. Started 2021. I came over and yeah, it's been over a year now. So sailing in nicely. Yeah, so basically to give a bit of background to those um, who will listen other than uh, the Churchy community and Churchy boys, and I've already told uh, a few keen running staff that they'll listen in. Um, I arrived at Churchy in 2020, and you were, so you were coaching there with um, Jack Curran at yep. the time, a former, former professional runner, Jack Curran, shall we call him that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean he's won the bridge of brisbane so he's got he's got a little bit under his belt yeah, he's got a few titles um so you you were there for the entirety of 2020 assisting him with um mike symes the the director of track and field and cross country was that was that the team at that point in time for coaching that is yeah because i if you recall i'd started as a um coordinator <laughs> Yeah, it was um, the coordinators have a role, but nothing like the the coaches um, at Oracle sort of just arriving at the end of training and and checking in with boys and and now um, I've become the head coach there and and even filled in if if you hadn't heard through the uh, grapevine for Symesy last year um, when he was on leave for term four. Where I wanted to start particularly was you, you transitioned to Stanford, but before we get there, I'll give listeners a bit more of a formal um rundown of times and background and things so correct me if i'm wrong here 
you're 20 this year, right? Yep. Yeah, so born 2002, which makes yep. me feel very old, um, being almost twice your age now. But um, so you finished church then 2019, went to coach 2020, left for Stanford at the beginning of 2021. And in year 12, across different events in the 1500, you broke the record at the time there with the 354. Is that correct? Yep. And then the later in the year with the 6K cross country across the very hilly limestone park with an 1812. Yep. You got it. And now I don't think you've, 1500 hasn't been much of a focus for you, has it? Like that, from what I can see on websites and different records and things, it's, it's at 353. So have you, have you, have you only improved 52. one second in 1500? Yeah. I mean, I haven't, I haven't ran one in like two years now. So it's been, the focus has gone more distance wise instead of that shorter stuff, I guess, because when the 5k and the 10k starts opening up and that's what I guess we train for more here, there's more of a, I guess, like long distance focus. Yeah, excellent. I, th I thought that might have been the case with that time. I'm sure if you, even, even with your uh, humble attitude there, if you were to run one right now, I'm sure that. Yeah. You cut a bit of time off that, but I mean, the focus for you by the looks of it has been across the 3,000 and 5,000. Um, so for those who don't know that, you, you just recorded a 750 um, the other day in the, in the 3K. And then what I was super impressed with, mate, and I've been talking um, to Symes and the assistant coaches back at Churchy about, was the uh, 1321 for the 5K. Um, I will remind viewers of these indoor times. So... I know there's mixed opinions on indoor. There's an argument that indoor is slower because there's, you know, there's more, it's a shorter track, more bends and turns and things. Symesy actually talking to him the other day reminded me about the fact that there's no weather um, to battle with, you know, no winds or um, hot temperatures that can be controlled to a degree. Um, I do know. And then finally, the 3,000 steeple with a time of 8.30 two and i do know the steeple you've been working um a bit at is that 832 was that outdoors yeah steeples only outdoors so yeah 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 um so have i got those all those times correct yeah i will say just to counter like act what Symes you said um the indoors it is it's not it's not cold at all it's hot like it feels like there's no air conditioning in there. It's just like you go from outside where it's basically snowing and then you step inside and it feels like a sauna. It's like that, that hot. And when you start going around the track a few times, you work up more of a sweat than you do outdoors. I feel like the air just feels like it's being reused, I guess. And it's, it's not fun. <laughs> yeah. Right. So they do their best to cool it down, but, um, to a degree, it's not not the ideal. Like they can't, you know, a lot of talk in the previous sort of handful of years has been, you know, that 10 to 15 degree temperature um, yeah, for ideal exactly. racing outcomes. They, I guess they're not replicating that entirely. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's probably like racing at like 26, 27 degrees. Yeah, wow. It's ridiculous. 
yeah, so contrary to that conversation, then you you are battling warm temperatures. Um, yeah. Shorter tracks. Is it always is it always a shorter track indoors? Basically, all the championship races will be on a two hundred meter track, and the curves will be banked. So you'll be running on an angle when you turn, essentially. But there's some tracks that are indoors that are like three hundred meters long, and they won't be banked. But it's still going to be smaller than an outdoor track. Have you developed? naturally or purposefully you know across indoor tracks is there is it just literally Not, training on them to get the experience i mean we don't we don't have an indoor track at stanford it's like yeah. our climate's too like warm that we don't really need one so all our workouts are outdoors on a regular 400 meter track and then we get thrown on the shorter track oh. go go see what you can do and i mean it's a lot more strategic because obviously you don't want to overtake on like a bend and you don't want to run that further distance. So your moves have to be like quicker and you have to be in a good spot, I guess, for the final like bit of the race. So you can be there at the end. Yeah. It's almost like I was thinking the other day about, you know, those like hot dog crit races on the bike. Um, I know up in Noosa, they've got the Noosa bolt there, which also is an example actually of a race where you turn a lot. Yeah, a 5k race that is but like i know the crit they do there is plentiful with turns and the thing is like you're alluding to when you've got to turn a lot surely you need speed to kind of work out of those bends and to make the moves yeah definitely yeah it's a lot different uh to outdoor so mate let's let's um backtrack a little bit to then in uh, 2021 in january there when you did make that transition Stanford where did you start to organize that transition how how did you know you were good enough like what were the cutoff times who helped you there uh, was Symesy the director of Churchy cross country involved in that as well um I give Symesy like basically the credit to my career because <laughs> grade nine Kai didn't kind of want to run straight out like I just I just wanted to play I guess football and you know run around and do whatever basically and then sometimes he was like hey let's let's run around for a reason essentially and drag me along by the ear until some time started coming through started to enjoy the sport I guess and now I, I guess I love it and so I got to, I got to give Symesy credit there um in terms of actually going to Stanford I like Jack Curran, the previous coach, said, hey, you should definitely, like, try go for a career in the U.S. And he said that I had, like, all the capabilities to do it because he did it too. And, and so I got an agent to, like, connect me with a few coaches and got connected with the coach at Stanford. And we basically just kept talking and built, like, a little relationship until eventually he said, hey, I've got a spot for you here. And as soon as he said that, pounced on it basically said thank you for like the interest of all the other coaches but this was like the goal and achieved it and then yeah I mean my times you brought them up before coming out of school they didn't really like change after that and then coming over to the U.S. when I joined that team for the first time I was probably maybe second or third from the bottom when you're training a, in a good group here in Australia or Brisbane or, you know, you've, you've obviously um, 
had connections and I'll be at the Gold Coast run co down there. Um, from what I, from what I know, there's from the stronger runners probably around 10, 10 really good athletes yeah. there. But aren't we talking like 50 to 100 athletes that you, you know you're training with at this point in time? Uh, there's probably only about 20 in my group right now. Um, I'd probably say like the Gold Coast Ronco that really like helped because, you know, down there I wasn't the best, but I was able to train with those guys who were better than me and they were able to like pull me through, I guess, on workouts with them and, you know, help me, help me like run and improve. And then the same thing sort of happened here. And, you know, I, I went in, I was on the lower side of the team and every time, like every session, I would think I just got to get one more person. I just got to be better than one person, one person. And then I like slowly started to move up and I was just on like the border of that top group because when I came over, there was a lot of COVID rules. We had to train in groups of eight. And so there was the top eight who were essentially like traveling. They were our number one team. And then there was my group. And I remember seeing the, like that top group, they would like go out, they would start before us essentially. And they would run like ridiculous times. And then my group who was slower, we, we were like told you can't do that. Like you have to ease off cause you're not at their level. And it sort of like annoyed me. You know, I was like, I want to be in that top group. And it seemed like I wasn't able to break through to them. And then just had one race and originally I wasn't even supposed to race and the like COVID restrictions eased and we were allowed to throw two extra people in. And so I got the call up and then don't know what happened in the race, but something clicked and all of a sudden I was number four on the team. And I was like, well, was this, were they having a bad day or was it like, did I suddenly make a breakthrough? And I mean, I just told myself that was my breakthrough. That was my moment that like, I guess I got to step up. And so ever since I've like, kept that mentality that like I am there and I still want to keep like rising one person at a time, I guess. And so, yeah, it takes us to where I am now where it's sort of three of us right now who are all interchanging for that one, two and three spot. And yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's crazy to think that that's initially you felt quite of an outcast, but now, you know, that 13, 21 that you've laid down um, just a few weeks ago, uh, from what I, I follow results pretty closely um, in Australia, pretty interested in all of it, but it appears at the moment that's the quickest time for any Australian for 5,000 this year. Would you know much about that? Um, I mean, it might be. I think Ollie Hall might have ran, yeah, I think it was late December. He ran like 13.09. It's a pretty cool thing to think about. And these things for you, like surely they give you that confidence to be like, you know, yeah, I feel, I feel a place here. Um, and I guess yeah. the tricky thing too is when you're training over there with such a big team, I guess my, my estimate of 50 to hundred was pretty well off, but that I'm probably getting that number from all those numbers I've seen in the cross country races. Uh, to be honest, I'd never actually known how many you train with, but 20 still like that's a really good amount. And, and yeah. they're runners that are obviously very close to you in, in pace. So, yeah. you know, it's, um, it must be reassuring 
and um, and with that three thousand too for you. Yeah, that three thousand. I mean, I wasn't even like I was racing it, but I was more of a pacer in that race too, because I already qualified, I guess, with that five thousand for our nationals, and I didn't really want to do the three k as well. And one of our other teammates hadn't qualified yet, and so it was basically a matter of <laughs> I had to I had to lead him through three quarters of the race and then he took over at the end when I was starting to fade because running at the front does take a lot more out of you I feel yeah that's so interesting to to hear that story and that was a 750 like I mentioned earlier what I'm interested too if we go to the facts about times uh, I do know Jude Thomas got the under 23,000 record last year uh, and you're 20 this year how does that work yeah, that you yeah. record a time? Was it, if it was 7.53 and you got 7.50, which is obviously a little bit quicker, but in America, and was that indoors too? Like, is this counting for yeah. anything? <laughs> um, I mean, technically, it was the day before my birthday, or before my 20th birthday. Yeah, so, I mean, technically, <laughs> I guess in Australia, it was my birthday. So I don't know if that plays anything, but I'm fairly certain the record books, it goes like, from December 31st anyway. So unfortunately it won't, it won't be rewritten. So it'll stay under Jude Thomas's name. Yeah. But I mean, you know, big, big history <laughs> in front of you, you are 20 and, and uh, the peak for running can be any time now up until, you know, to mid thirties. I look, yeah. I honestly think as time goes on, you'll grow into a runner in longer events, but I guess you've got to think about where you're heading in terms of the events to, to think about particularly you know when we look at these times there's no there's no doubt that things like com games and olympics are are considerations particularly that steeple time of 8 30 um, but before we get in, in, into anything around that i guess the next question is um particularly around stanford uni and your life like day to day week to week how's it working like um more so outside of training at the moment um, so, I mean, Monday to Friday's classes, we sort of have to schedule our classes around our training, which is always basically 3.30 in the afternoon onwards. And so I'll schedule classes that start usually at 9.30, then go to 11. And I, I like to set it up so my Monday is full of classes, my Wednesday is full of classes, and then I have a tiny bit on Tuesday and Thursday and nothing on Friday. So then I get... I guess a three-day weekend sort of thing. So it's a lot nicer. Is that Tuesday and Thursday freed for um, sessions then in, in the morning or Arvo? We do workouts on Tuesday and Friday. So we only have two hard workouts a week. And then sometimes our Sunday long run will put a little workout in the last 8K of that to, you know, do a little tempo or something. Yeah, excellent. Um, actually, we will get more specifically to the running week shortly. Um, but how about like uni life? What's it like there over in Stanford? You're Aussie bloke, you're hanging out with a bunch of Americans. Um, <laughs> surely as a young guy, and this is, this is, I think, an appropriate and relevant question for, for any younger boy. When you're a young guy, like the party life, the party scene has got to be something that, that is around, that can be a temptation for athletes. Um, how is that? sort of panned in as well 
along with all those other daily things in the life of a Stanford Uni student? Um, I mean, the one, I guess, good thing from a running perspective about Stanford is that we don't throw the best parties. <laughs> so we're, we're known not for like not being a party school. But then the problem is when we go to like an Arkansas for an indoor meet, that's, that's a big party school. Yeah, as I tend to, at the start of the season, party a bit more than towards like the end, like I am now, like now all the focus is essentially on running. So partying, I guess, can wait. Yeah, no, that's, it's, that's really good to hear that. Um, you know, the outcomes you have as an athlete is are so dependent on who, who you're around. I guess yeah. with anything, anything in life, if you surround your, your, yourself with, with uh, influential things that are, that are positive towards your goals, then it can only be a benefit, right? Absolutely. And what about like, have you got a car over there? You're driving around. Um, what time are your classes in the morning in Arvo? When do they finish? How long are they? Has it been online, for example, with COVID? How's that been working? Uh, our first two quarters was all online. So the first, I guess, ones we were just sitting in our dorm rooms, you know, open up Zoom, go to class. And then, yeah, I guess run. That was basically the first two quarters. So that was, I don't honestly say a bit more fun because we were all together and we were all just like, could do what we want because we were all, you know, as soon as our classes were ending, we were all in the same spot and we could do whatever we wanted. But now it's a matter of like, because the campus here is huge. It's like probably two kilometers to some of my classes. And wow. so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of a, bit of a walk. Uh, probably say like 90% of people here have a bike. Bit of a UQ vibe then like UQ, yeah. as you may know, has got its own postcode. Um, it's got an amazing ring road. I know for runners, um, it's very much a community. Is it, in terms of size and feel, quite similar to UQ or different in some ways? Um, I'd, I'd say probably bigger. Like Oh, okay. Yeah, right. Maybe maybe about four times bigger, honestly. Yeah. Just because, I mean, we got like the whole athlete like center and there's who knows how many fields there. And then we've got all these like research labs, I guess the hospitals also there, which like has some classes like the sciences and bio over there. So, you know, it branches out a fair way. And as I was saying before, everyone, everyone has a bike. So unfortunately my bike is currently broken down. It just, <laughs> um, one of like one of the spokes essentially snapped and took me out. So that was, that was a bit great. And yeah. So now it's just walking to class, which I mean, it gets me up early in the morning. I mean, I'm not getting up exactly early. Like I'll wake up at nine for a 9.30 class, go walk over, go get food on the way back. They'll probably, that class will probably end at around 11.30. And so it's usually about a two hour lecture or section or seminar or whatever it is. And then I'll come back here. One of my classes is online in the middle of the day so I can you know, sit around, eat, I guess, while I watch the lecture and I guess take notes if I, if I do that. Um, and then, yeah, that's, I'll have like one more class that I'll walk to in the afternoon and then 
head straight to practice from there and then dinner and come home and that's basically the life yeah excellent um and i'll tell you that that's that question um was persisted to me from Simesy to ask you about how it works over there and i think he he gets very excited by the fact that obviously you're there and then jack curran's had to go over there too um but also for up and coming runners at Churchy at the moment. The, yeah. the next question I wanted to lead into was around, we've covered all the, all the highlights, like your PBs and, and the, the things around the campus and that, that kind of concept. But what about the challenges? Like what for you as a young guy, what's been the hard things heading over there? I guess when I first came over, the tough thing was not knowing anyone. Like I was literally thrown into like a whole country. I didn't have the parents like go home to at the end of the day and be like, oh, like I still don't really know anyone. So it was just a matter of thrown into a bunch of guys. And if you don't like them too bad, you have to like them. And so luckily I did like them. So and there was no real issues there, but um, that was probably like a main struggle. Another one is just like, getting used to some of their units that can be annoying like over in Australia as a matter of running and you know what's your pace in kilometers per like minute I guess and then over here it's all about miles and then you know temperature is different weight is different volume is different even yeah. it's like <laughs> oh mate as a math teacher that it just blow my mind blow yeah. my mind especially working in miles i just like yeah all i can compare it to is is the slow mile that i run at just over five minutes and and how that may work for pacing but yeah that that's um something i didn't really think about that whole conversion to that societal way of of measurement and you having to work through even as a runner how that works for pacing and things like that yeah i mean it makes it challenging like you tend to lose some focus like now I'm don't because the pace is like have started to come usual and I know what they feel like. But when I first come over, I'd spend like a good chunk of time thinking like during a rep, hey, what's this time and like K's so I can like convert <laughs> it and then realize what it feels like. And then by the time I've like realized it's already half over. And so yeah, that was a bit challenging. I mean, COVID. I wasn't really, I got it like a few months ago and yeah, didn't really hit me that hard. Like it was, if anything, a bit of a benefit to myself and my roommate because it meant we didn't have to go to the first um, meet of the season, which wasn't very fun for everyone else. So we just got to stay back and train on our own, which was pretty nice, honestly. But that hasn't really been that much of an issue. How about family, like, mate? Fam, like obviously you've been away from them a long time. Um, you did speak about the daily, like those sort of informal daily conversations, arriving home to mum and dad, cook dinner, and asking about uni and running. But what about just the time? It's been almost um, two, no, over a year now. Yeah, year and about year and a month. So, do you really miss your family or what? How, how are you feeling there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do. It's just a matter of, you know, I, I call them once a week. So we do get our like, catch up and whatnot. I guess during the summer, I could have gone home. It was like very expensive. And then there was a lot of quarantining and 
my, my passport had just expired. And so it was a little bit of an issue trying to get that passport back in. And I mean, the goal is ideally to go back this summer or winter for you guys and hopefully see them again, see the, the doggo who's still kicking. Cause yeah. Yeah. Well, tell us as we're on the topic uh, and I don't actually know the answer to this question. What does your, how many in your family, brothers, sisters, you mentioned a dog now, what's the family set up, mate? Uh, Mum, dad, older sister, who's at ACU. So still in Brisbane. Oh, down the road, down the road from me. And then a 14 year old dog. Okay. And what, what breed of dog is it? Uh, Black Labrador. Oh, Labrador. Awesome dog. He's doing pretty well for himself. Yeah. 14, definitely kicking on. That's, that's an old dog. That's awesome. Hey mate. um, So let's get more so to this training week in terms of running Monday to Sunday. I'd love to hear how that works for you. Um, And I think when I think of, of young athletes and, and when I keep saying young boys, you know, obviously I'm thinking of churchy, um, but for girls, we can all, we can all idolize. We can't always copy what you, I can't run at 250 Ks, for example, like you, um, let alone even one K as it is, but we can all learn from the ways that you train. I reckon like particularly where you do your long run, you, you know, that you actually do a long run as a runner that you have sessions that you run easy a lot, even um, not that you run that easy from what I see, but how's, how's your running week at the moment? Talk us through that. Um, so we start the week on a Sunday essentially, and that's always our long run. So for me, that's 15 miles. So 24 kilometers and I tend to like to do basically three easy long runs. So at a relaxed pace and then every fourth one will be a bit faster. And so I'll start off slow, but then I'll start to pick it up towards the end and get like a mini workout out of it, I guess. Yeah. Is that to feel that long, that progressive long run or is it, yeah. Are you looking at your watch trying to hit, hit uh, sort of splits and that kind of thing? Um, it's more like feel, I guess, like obviously we want to get down to like some fast paces, but essentially like if it's not feeling good, it won't happen. And so I'll just ease off and go back to like a relaxed run, I guess, but I'll tend to like for the last eight miles or eight K especially, I'll just like each time try to get a little bit quicker per kilometer i guess and like try to drop it down i guess five seconds per k each time until you essentially either finish or hit your max like speed yeah okay and and i look i like the concept of that last 5k obviously not being at 5k pace there's no way you could do that anyway if you've done a bunch of k's before but i I really like that being at like a like a 10k half marathon sort of a pace is that the kind of effort that you're aiming for to finish those kind of long runs uh yeah it'd probably be i mean i can only really put it in miles per like <laughs> minute i guess we'll start, <laughs> we'll start probably 
our like easy runs are around like four minute Ks, I guess. And so like, obviously that's already pretty quick in itself. And then towards the end, we'll start to like drop it down to probably around three tens by like the final kilometer, I guess. So let's just outline the total yeah. distance for, for the listeners too. Are we, are we, from what I have seen on Strava, these long runs are for you about 20 to 25 K. Yeah, I think 24 is probably like the main spot that I'm hitting. So, yeah, yeah. Ex excellent. So there's the long runs. Are they mornings or afternoons, mate? Uh, usually a morning thing. I, I used to be an afternoon kind of guy. But <laughs> on, a, on a Sunday, everyone wants to get it done early so they can have the rest of the day to go get brunch. How about then your Monday through Saturday, mate? um so we do monday i'll probably double so go for a little six miles in the morning and then or six kilometers sorry in the morning and then in the afternoon i might go like 12 or 13 kilometers and then do a like lift after that so a bit of gym nothing like crazy just i guess strengthening like some muscles and a lot of balance sort of stuff so that's in like not bulk us up, but strengthen us up. You are looking stronger. I told um told Simesy that in the photos I've I've seen from that indoor yep. five thousand, you definitely are looking stronger. A less of a stick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> becoming more of a man, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Tuesday will be a workout day, so typically we'll do like a long, like longer stuff, I guess. So. In cross, it's a probably a 10 mile tempo, which is essentially like 16 kilometers, or maybe like a fartlek, a long one. And yeah, that's probably the average Tuesday workout and track could be some more like mile repeats or kilometers on the track. So getting, I guess, that mileage up for that session. And then Wednesday, we have a medium long run. So it's a bit shorter than the Sunday long run. It's probably around 18 kilometers. And that one's always basically easy. We'll take it on our own. So we'll go off in like ones or twos or threes, basically, because everyone's Wednesday is different and everyone's doing it different times. Yep. And then Thursday will be the exact same as Monday. So a double in the morning. And then another easy run in the afternoon and a bit of a lift. Yep. Are they they're faster than just a little bit faster than Wednesday? Uh, yeah, probably just a little bit. I mean, yep. the double, the first run in the morning, it's only four miles, so six kilometers. And, you know, you've just woken up in the morning. You don't really want to be there. So it's sort of just getting that one out of the way. It's not going to be anything crazy you don't have enough time to like yeah. get it up to that pace to go crazy yeah but yeah and then friday will be another workout that'll tend to be the faster one of the week so we'll cut down a bit on how far we go and increase the speed so it'll probably be some intervals you know a faster fart leg maybe and sometimes throw us on the track for cross and then for I guess track, it'll be 
a lot more like sprints, like 400s, I guess, in terms of sprints, that is. And then Saturday is the easy day. So that's basically our rest day. That's whatever we didn't hit for mileage in the week is filled in on that day. So I'll typically try and just do a basic eight kilometer run and round out the week to get to that total mileage. Yep. Yeah, and what is the total mileage? Sounds sounds about 120k. Uh yeah, 75 miles, so probably about 120, 125. Yeah, no, that's um I like that. I like that amount for what you're training for. And for those who don't follow running so much, it might seem like almost too much, but I think yeah. it's I think it's a good kind of area you got there and the other thing too to think about is you've got a lot of easy running, which I really like, you know, you're balancing two really hard sessions with a long run to feel. And then your easy runs by the sounds of it are all to how you're feeling on the day, but that'd yeah, make up exactly. easy running for you would make up including the long run. If we include that, what almost 80, 80 K with warm ups and cool downs that is. Yeah. yeah. And then it so it seems like your Tuesday is your longer sessions of workouts, Friday shorter interval kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Yes. So, um, so that's where you're developing your speed. Yeah. I mean, Fridays will probably get maybe 10 kilometers worth of actual like volume done versus a Tuesday workout, which will be around 15 or 16 kilometers. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. It'll be, it'll be a lot. It's, it's a big step up coming out of high school, I guess, because, you know, my mileage back there was probably around 80 kilometers a week. And that was with a rest day and that was three workouts a week. And I feel like when you, when you shrink down to two workouts, it's, you have a lot more room to, I guess, ramp up the volume. So you're still, I guess, getting the same amount you would in three it's just i don't know yeah it gets that aerobic base when i think of the high level church runners a lot of them are doing three sessions at the moment do you think that's a thing that the younger kids can handle more so or is it just another way of doing it you reckon that you you do two sessions and these guys are doing three and i assume they're shorter in terms of distance and volume what do you what do you think about um, that? I think three sessions probably is better for when you're younger. I mean, a lot of those boys probably aren't running every day. So they don't have like the added stress of not getting that rest day and that recovery in. So when you have all those extra days, you can tend to do more work, I guess. And so I feel like that's probably better for when you're younger, but then as you start to transition and you get less time, I guess, on your hands, you can like start to increase and then decrease the amount, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I'm just thinking again about that Friday session. How, how much rest are you having? Is there a certain rest to, to work ratio? Uh, is that quite dependent on the, the length of the intervals? How's that working for you guys at the moment? um it'll depend on like what it is so for longer stuff if we're in like our flats i guess we'll do a lot of 
like active recovery. So jogging in between sets, there's no real like stopping. And then if it's some faster stuff, you know, you might, might be hunched over at the end of a 400 or something. And then you might need to change to spikes and changing in between shoes. So that will tend to like be a lot more stop starty. But yeah. then if there's ever like today we had a three minute jog between like sets. And so we jog that like three minutes. And then when there was 75 seconds between actual reps, it would be like a stop, get back to the line and then go again. Cause there wasn't that much time to, I guess, go jog around. So it all depends on how big the rest is. Like if I'd say it's 90 seconds, I'll probably try jog at least like two, 300 meters in that time to, you know, keep the body moving and not like build up lactic acid, I guess. Yeah. Okay. And that's counting to your, to your mileage, so to speak for the week. That's yeah. you're tracking that on the watch. Yeah. Yeah. As long as, as long as I'm moving, it's, it's counted, I guess. Yeah. So you're all for the whole float concept yeah. as opposed to, to resting particularly, I mean, more so for high level athletes to, if you're fit enough, uh, it's adding volume, it's keeping you, uh, physically prepared for the next rep, isn't it? When you when you're moving, yeah. And I mean, there's sometimes when we had a ten by four hundred meter session the other day, which was very very tough. And at the start of it, you know, we've only got sixty seconds of rest, so I'll try to get a little bit of a jog in, like jog a hundred meters, and try to get like a little bit of recovery. But then towards the last three or four reps, it was a matter of being hunched over, like. Yeah, trying okay. to get your breath. You guys are basically picking if you're heading off for a bit of a jog. Some athletes might sort of just walk around as opposed to a thing like, you know, 10 400s and then hit a hit a 400 float and that's like locked in. Is that kind of the concept? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like that yeah, flexibility. Exactly. I mean, it's not everyone's not doing like the same thing. Like the top guys might be jogging between everyone and looking like they've barely ran. And then there might be some guys who after the first one are like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this session, but they somehow still do. Like everything works differently for different people and there's no like clear cut solution to that like success, I guess. Yeah. And so I guess fine. Like I feel like if you can jog, it's better, but there's some times when you literally just need to stop, get as much recovery as you can. Yeah. Then get back, make sure you don't die on the next rep. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, and, and what about the, like the coach? Is the coach writing individual programs for, you know, you talk about 20 guys training in this squad. Is he writing the individual programs, but then also he's on the deck, he's running that session there in front of all of you guys, knowing that each and every one of you have something a little bit different. Is that how it's working? Yeah, so I guess he like writes like a session. There's essentially three groups within like our 20. And so there's like the middle distance group who there's a more 800 meters, 1500 meter guys. And so they'll go off on their own and do their own session. And then it's sort of split into two groups, like the top guys who are like really competing. And then the guys who might be coming back from injury or something like, have a little niggle so they might 
be a little bit off on one day. And so they'll go into a second group, they'll do something else. But I mean, even within like our top group, there's gonna like there's gonna be guys who are like falling off. And so we're given like a pace range. So it might be like a three second window. And so we'll have like the guys come through at the start and then we'll have some people who might be dropping off, but still being within that window. Yeah. And so yeah. in that sort of sense, like he's keeping it open so that everyone can do it and no one like feels like, oh, I'm not with that top guy. So I'm doing bad. Love that Very range. Nice. That's um, definitely it's reassuring that, you know, no matter where you're hitting in that range that you're on the mark. I think yeah. when it's so clear cut with paces that, yeah, as, an, as a young athlete, you can just kind of stress out around things that, you know, maybe just that day you're not feeling great. And yeah, exactly. that's just reality. Like there's no need to beat yourself up if you're a second or two slower. Yeah. So mate, that leads us into, I think nicely with how you eat and drink, how much water you're drinking, what are you eating each day of the week in general. But then what I really want to find out is, and this one's I think really relevant to younger athletes who are trying to work out what works for them before a, a race or before a big session. I had a um, year nine boy hunched over the other week on a Mowbray session. And for those who don't know Mowbray Street in East Brisbane next to Churchy is a hilly road. And then this boy had basically half after the session was hunched over feeling really sick in the guts. Uh, we were just sort of talking to him about what's going on, trying to work out why he's feeling so average. And basically we got to the point that he'd said he'd had cereal um, for breakfast with milk. <laughs> a little bit of a rookie move to be having anything dairy before a session. So, you know, for me personally, as, a, as an above average athlete <laughs> here in, um, in Brisbane, Australia, I, for me, it's, it's bread, it's, it's banana. Um, I've actually been having a bit of watermelon lately, which I find really easy to digest. It's, it's sugary, it's watery, it can hydrate you and just a little bit of food, don't overeat and that kind of thing. But let's get to you. So what are you eating in the week in general and what are you eating before a race? Um, so I'll start with like races, I guess. So basically my like whole eating window starts 24 hours before the race. And so if I'm racing in the morning, the day before I'll like try to get a regular breakfast. That's like a key thing for me. Like I know a lot of guys who would back in the day, like eat, I don't know, cocoa pops every morning. And then day of the race, they thought, Oh, I'm going to eat wheat bicks. So that would <laughs> like their body's just not used to it. And so they'd find a lot of the time, like they'd be at the finish line throwing their guts up, I guess. Yeah. And so in that sense i try to stick like what whatever i'm used to like whatever i'm doing day in day out whether it's a bagel with vegemite or something or you know some oats or i don't know yeah whatever whatever i'm like currently sticking with and then for lunch i'll tend to just go for like a chicken sandwich or something something like light but still filling sorry so, just um to remind me and anyone who missed it is this the day of the race at night time or is this the um, race the next morning um this is this is if it's the next morning i mean yeah, yeah. or next the, day if the race is at night time then 
the lunch stays the same, you know, just a light chicken yes. sandwich, I guess. Yeah. And so it's essentially like always going to be those three meals before. Yeah. And then that takes us into dinner. I'm a big pasta before the race kind of guy. So I'll always do, well, I guess previously it was a spaghetti bolognese or something like that. Like I remember basically I'd go back to mom and dad every day before the race and be like, Hey, can I have spaghetti bolognese? And they're like, sure. You have to cook it though. And I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> I guess. And then now I get to here, we're of course like traveling for races. So I guess we have to like go to a restaurant to unfortunately get this food, which is a bit annoying because it tends to be a bit more oily, I guess. And I'm trying yeah, a to bit like, risky too. You can't, you can't always predict what's in it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so I'm tending to now go for like a penne pasta sort of thing. And so I'll stick with that bit of chicken in there. Yeah, have you ever heard of, um, I believe, Rafa Nadal? I've heard that he he's a big pasta guy, but he he literally has pasta, um, olive oil, and salt. Like, there's nothing else on it. Because I know with Spagwell, yeah, you could probably get too much oil, too much yeah. tomato-y, too voluminous, so to speak, in your stomach. So I guess it's what what works for you. And you've, you've found yeah. that uh, the, the pasta is the go-to and that yeah, would that I mean, be let's say you got a race that night though would you have be having this pasta like between the lunch the chicken sandwich and the race let's say we'll make it up at seven o'clock that's maybe six seven hours what would you be having between that like um from what i have read and learned and do myself um is about three to four hours have a like a bigger sort of meal what are you having there yeah um if a race to say at 7 p.m., I'll try wake up a bit later. And so I'll try wake up, I guess, around 10 sort of thing. Jeez, Unfortunately, we lucky. usually have a team meeting. <laughs> yeah, I know. We usually have a team meeting at like 8.30, so I'll have to wake up for that. But then yeah. go back to sleep and then get up for breakfast and try eat that, I guess, around 11. So like the whole window just shifts and then yeah. lunch will be at about 4, 3.30 maybe. Yeah. And so that'll typically like get me through to that seven o'clock yeah so both of these carbs and for those who don't know um around that i've done a little bit of work on nutrition back in my um applied science here movements degree and what i've learned is that these these are like slower acting um energy food items so to speak where you know over a even a five-hour period you're getting energy out of it whereas the next question will be around that window then you know, three to one hours before the race? Are you munching on fruit, having muesli bar, a snack? What's happening there? Um, I'll usually just like, you know, uh, something similar to like shapes. And I'll just get like, not like a full box down, but just a few down and then... Hang on, shape, aren't it shapes? Yeah, I mean, they're not, they're not the same over here, but... <laughs> yeah and really okay yeah and then i guess two two hours out um i'll probably get a bit of coffee or something typically you get caffeine in me so like a double shot of coffee just for that quick like immediate boost yeah black coffee and then yeah and then that tends to yeah. you know kick in in the race 
Did yeah, you I mean that within a few hours, not not um, not like one hour to, to half an hour before the race. I did hear this on I, some podcast yeah. the other week that coffee, it actually lasts longer than we often think. When we drink coffee, I feel like, I feel the energy is almost immediately acting on me and feeling a bit hyperactive straight away. But yeah, I heard something the other week about having it kind of two, three hours before. Yeah, they, they have a pretty long half-life, I guess. And yeah. so, you know, you do feel that like energy, like straight away, like I'll notice my heart is racing, but I like to do the two hours because then, you know, an hour before the race, you're warming up. And I like to, I guess, sort of like calm down before that, but still have that energy in you. Yeah. And so it like helps me get in the zone while not, you know, stressing me out in the moment. Yeah. And then do you, are you having something, any, anything like an energy gel immediately before the race or not? Um, typically no. I yeah. mean, if it was, if it was a longer race, like a half marathon, I assume I probably would, but I'm not in that territory yet. So it's not really something that's quite affecting me. Yeah. See, I used to have, I used to have a, a energy gel before a park run before a 5k but I'm of the, I don't I don't really have them other than a long run now, or a, yeah. yeah, or a, or a race in a half marathon. I don't think I differ much, like you're probably alluding to there, to to high level athletes um, who are far quicker than me. That they're probably something more used for when you're working for like over an hour, where like we just mentioned, you're really really intense effort for seven to 15 yeah, sure, minutes yeah, yeah 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 great so that that's that's the eating plan before the race yeah. do you treat yourself at all do you because you're running so many k's are you of the thinking that it's okay every now and then to have a bit of maccas ice cream or are um, you like really strict around your diet how, how does that work i'm probably one of the people who's like the lightest on like being strict to diet so i'm not really too fussed what i eat in terms of like Maccas, I used to be, I used to love Maccas. Like in Australia, I was going probably once a week sort of thing. And it wasn't, wasn't the best thing for me. And since coming to the US, I haven't, I haven't even gone at all. And so <laughs> that's something I guess I'm proud of, you know, a little, little bit of withdrawal, but at the end of the day, <laughs> it's not really something that matters that much. But then, I mean, luckily we've got the dining hall and then we got like an athlete dining hall. So they tend to just cook up a different meal every day and I'll go just the usual breakfast. Like I got my bagel here for tomorrow that I'm going to just toast and I don't know what I'll throw on it. It'll be a matter of the moment, whether it be like cream cheese, Vegemite or yeah. peanut butter. Yeah. And then lunch will be a chicken sandwich. They like have like pre-packaged sandwiches. Yeah. So I'll grab that like the day before and then have that for lunch typically. And then dinner will be whatever they're serving, like meat, veg, sometimes like a rice dish or, you know, Mexican where it'll be burritos or something like that. So it's, it's pretty wide the range there. There's a lot of guys like on our team who will have pasta basically every night. Like sometimes they just don't trust like, their stomach to differ between different meals 
so we're like if we want to cook like if i go down to the dining hall and it's you know looking like seafood and i'm not a i'm not really someone who trusts seafood when it's served like in mass servings yeah. <laughs> so i'll i'll typically yeah, be like oh this yeah. this doesn't look like it's going to be nice tomorrow sort of thing and so i'll come back and i'll grab out like rice and chicken and cook something up i guess find like some sauce to add to it to make it bearable and yeah okay so are the, are the meals very specific to athletes or when you say athlete village is it literally they treat you no differently to a bunch of sporting guys at a, at a private school uh it's basically the exact same as like yeah. the regular athlete hall it's just because i mean when you got like the american football guys they're not eating healthy meals and so they're, they're like the, ma- the majority of that this is for and so it's a lot of just getting in like a lot of volume for them to bulk up then um dessert we duck it we duck out for any takeaways for the week or anything um not really like takeaways sometimes yeah i'll grab like a cookie or two on the way out or like a muffin and snack on that on like the walk back to my dorm or something or save it for a snack tomorrow like an afternoon tea or something and that's typically the extent that I like to, I guess, reward myself. The only other thing that probably I'm doing is they're very big about like pre a workout. Um, I'll grab out the other thing that I'm eating. Yes, oh, my bag. So I'll have like little lollies, I guess. And so they want us to get like 20 grams of carbs in before a run. And then like 20 grams of carbs after a run and 20 grams, 20 grams of protein. And so, you know, right after that run, I'll typically like have just this small packet and then maybe like a protein shake after a lift or something just to, I guess, give muscles like something to work with when they start to like strengthen up. And so that's probably the only other thing that like, I'm really paying attention to like what I'm eating. Yeah, it sounds like you're um, a bit more particular for, uh, you know, food and energy around the training and racing. And then yeah, that, that high carb diet through the week, eating wholesome, um, yeah. but not being, not being over top about it. Yeah. That's good. Then, yeah, I guess there's like a little bit of a focus on like that 90 minute window after you've, ran getting a meal in then so that your body can replenish and you're not starting to burn fats so to say yeah yeah no it's very interesting to hear because there must you know must be an american influence there especially i know coffee's black for example it's a big takeaway deemed as a big takeaway a nation of the yeah, world definitely um you know obesity rates as you know are massive over there as they are in australia you know a lot to do with with diet and, and exercise not that that's an issue for you but all these things must have some external intrinsic influence on you but it seems like you've got it pretty down pat with what yeah. you're doing i mean there's there is the guys like on our team who suffer with injuries and then they'll go see like nutritionists and all yep. those people on their recovery back and 
they'll always be like advised to stay away from gluten because that tends to like inhibit like recovery. And then the same thing sort of goes with dairy. So they'll tend to, I guess, I don't really know how, but avoid both gluten and dairy. Seems like you've got a yeah, good team around you and good influence around food. So must be beneficial for you. Um, the, bit of a change of topic here. The next next one we're looking at is, is the mental side of racing. We've spoken about physical, both with training and nutrition, but what about the mental game? And this, this is a question also for week to week, month to month, year to year. Not that your, um, your years have been long of life being 20, but that's in addition to racing, like within a race when you're, you know, three, four K in the middle of a 5k, what's going through your head to maintain that focus. But then also how do you stay motivated in the week to train so hard? Um, the main thing that probably keeps me motivated is having other people. So, you know, if you've like got that close friend that you can go run with every day, you tend to keep them in check and they keep you in check. And so it's sort of like, Hey, if I'll put like my body on the line and you'll put it on the line, then I guess we're both good. But if one person starts to like get lazy with it, then the other person will start to get lazy and so i guess that's a good thing of like having a team culture around it and so like having those easy runs to go like just dawdle around talk on the run and i guess have some fun whereas like i guess over like our breaks when we're on our own it can be pretty tough like mentally just staying like in touch with the sport and then getting back into it because it's like some days you just don't have the energy, you know, like just uh, sitting on the couch and thinking, oh, I still got to run. And so I guess those are like some of the demons you just have to fight. Like there's, there's no simple shortcut to that. It's just a matter of you either like win that battle or you don't. I, I can't give any secret tips because there's some times when I even cave in and it's typically like when you're on your own when you're in not in season sort of thing but then when you start to get into that rhythm and you have other boys around you that are doing that it's a lot easier to fall and train i guess and you know get up early in the morning to go for that run but yeah okay and i generally are is the attitude pretty optimistic or like, do you ever rock up the training and you're like, Oh, geez, I'm tired fellas. And they're like, yeah, I'm just don't feel like it today. Or is it more like, Kai, get, you know, get your head out of the gutter, mate. Let's, let's get on with the show here. It's, it's sort of like, no one really cares. At the same time, they're not like saying like, Oh, go get out of here. Sort of thing. Like we don't want to hear that yeah. energy. It's sort yeah, of just so you're like acknowledging a, it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like they'll acknowledge it, but they won't like dwell on it. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's good when you have 20 guys, one person's feeling extra energetic and then someone might be feeling less energetic that day. And it sort of like levels out towards, towards the time, like before we start. And then when you start running, you know, the first few kilometers can be like, a, Oh, you know, this, this sucks. Like, I don't want to be here, but then by the end, you know, everyone's energies starting to, I guess, hype up. It sounds like that group environment's really important 
would you would you recommend then for someone who's not a high level athlete who's just trying to get fitter being a runner or a who's now out of school for example because in school you often get a similar environment where training's quite fixed you've got coaches other boys but what about what about the the kid the, the young guy who's left school or the amateur recreational runner do you, would you recommend I, them getting a hold of a group i'd say if you can't if you can't like find a group that you can join find one or two like mates who'll do it because sometimes sometimes one might not even be enough like you might have work at some time and then you'll be on your own and you'll be thinking oh, i don't want to do this where if you get <laughs> two or three then someone's always going to be around someone's like as long as you set up that time period you know you've like got to do it for them and so when it, when it feels like you're doing it for someone else i find it gets a lot easier and then at the end of the day you are doing it for yourself and it feels nice yeah. knowing that and as you said before there's no benefit to um like not going for a run i guess yeah i mean like yeah deep down you've got to have intrinsic motivation if it's not there then it's not going to happen but the, the group will always bring you up actually I had a similar experience in the last month um if my mates do listen to this they'll um have a laugh but they have been completely absent in the last month for various reasons i've actually been heading to the nudgy track down the road i live in banyo so it's an amazing place for sessions but I find when I train with even one other guy, like you said, my splits can be for a K in a session, multiple seconds quicker than if they're solo. But I guess at yeah. the same time, it's all effort-based. I'm, I'm learning, giving it a go as hard as you can on your own is, is just as beneficial at times than chasing yeah. blokes down a, a back straight. Yes, the time yeah. is slower, but you're still, you're giving as much as you can given the context, if that makes yeah. sense. So I definitely agree with the group and obviously you're unique there over at Stanford. Um, anything else that like inspires you through the week before we get onto the actual races and mental side in, in, in races? I was just going to say like, when you do have that session that you are on your own and you do make that choice, like go out there, it builds like a lot more mental strength. And so it is like very good, like, you get, I feel like more, more, I'm not going to say more out of it, like physically, but mentally you get a lot more out of like going out doing that session on your own. You might be, as you said, five seconds slower for a split, but at the end of the day, you're not like having someone else pull you through. And so having that like ability to, you know, push yourself on your own when no one's around there, no one's watching you. It's a lot more beneficial, I guess. Yeah, definitely. No, it's amazing, amazing environment over there. I envy it. I'd, I would be there in a heartbeat. I'd get destroyed. But if I could replicate that with a group to a similar pace that uh, that I run at, geez, I feel like I'd improve. And you've improved so much over that time. But what about within the races then? Like, let's let's talk back to that 5K, the indoor 5K you, you did the other week um, and recorded that 13.21 what do you think about when you're through the race you guy that blocks things out and it's just like foot one foot after the other you're just staring at the lane getting it done or do you have a mantra or are you like thinking about when it's done that there's something to look forward to you can relax after the race any thoughts go through your head um well i'll start off like an hour before the race i guess so leading into like that hour like of warm-up before the race 
it'll be like light, like you'll be joking around with friends and having fun. And then, you know, that it's an hour to the race and, you know, you have to flip that switch to be focused, like zoned in, like now's your time. You stop like socializing, I guess, and start like mentally preparing. And so I'll typically throw like headphones in for a little bit, yep. just get some like, I guess, hype music to get me amped. What music is that and for then, you? Is it uh, dance music, rap, rock? Um, it'll typically be a bit of rap, a bit of EDM sort of thing. In that time, I guess, like, I've already had that, like, plan before the race of what I'm going to do. I'm sort of just, like, telling myself over and over, like, this is what you have to do. Focus, like, now. Get, like, all the little stuff done that you usually do before a race or before a workout. And you know, get everything, get everything right. Like don't sweat the small stuff. Like if someone's messing around over in the corner, just like block them out, I guess. Yeah. And try just focus on yourself. Are you focusing on technique? Are you focusing on, is your, on the process? Like, oh, I want to be hitting at each case split. I want to be hitting, you know, somewhere between 230, 40. Uh, what, what are you actually thinking about? So for that, for that 5K, I guess the idea was to try go through um, the 3K where we would like have a pace up and try get through in that split. I can't remember what it was. I think it was like eight minutes or 8.04 or something for that 3K split. And then when that pacer drops off, we sort of thought like there was one guy who we thought was going to take it. And so the whole idea was to stick on him. Like if he's going to go you got to make sure you cover like that move. And so it's sort of a matter of like telling yourself to get out, find that spot in the race and then be prepared to like hurt when it starts to come around to that zone. And so in that, in that 5k race, it was probably the first time I've ever done this and I absolutely hated it, but I was looking at that lap count every time I came through. Yeah. And I was yeah. just thinking, Oh gosh, we've still got this far to go every time. <laughs> and, you know, it, it seemed to go so slowly. And then all of a sudden it felt like it jumped like five yeah. ahead. And all of a sudden it's like two laps to go. And I'm thinking, yeah. oh, wow. Like I've still got, I've still got a little bit left in the tank. And so a lot of the calculate, like I was calculating in my head, like how far I had to go. It was basically like one lap per minute, like by or a little under a minute. And so I was just telling myself like, hey, there's five laps to go. That's five minutes of pain sort of thing. And then four laps to go, you think, oh, that's only four minutes of pain. Like that's easy to like get through, like in the grand scheme of things, like in a 24 hour day. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. four minutes of that little like sharp pain is nothing. And, you know, like, two hours after the race, you can't remember what that pain was really like. And so it's sort of just like telling yourself, Hey, now's the time you got to hurt. Like there's no other option. And so, you know, you get to two laps to go and there was, I guess, five or six of us still in it. And I noticed like a move being made at the front and I like responded to it. I didn't think like I was going to overtake anyone. 
and then the next thing I know, one person drops and then someone else makes a move at the front and then another person drops and then it's basically three or four of us and then there's one lap to go and I thought it's now or never like sort of thing. There's no other choice. Like I've only got probably 45 seconds left because it's the last lap. And so, you know, just start to, I guess, mentally like work the arms, work the legs, just try getting that turnover quicker and quicker. And then, you know, you get to that final straight and there's a hundred meters to go. It's a hundred meters. Like there's no, like we've done this like for so long. It's a matter of anyone can do this now. And you just got to dig to find that energy that's within you because it's it's there. It's just like you just got to break through like that pain barrier, I guess, to find it. And then race is over and you can start to recover, I guess. Yeah, for sure. And you won that race, right? Yeah. No, excellent. I think it's a, it's a great strategy that and it can be applied to any runner. I feel and something that I've yeah. used before where what we mentally do um, is we basically break down the break down the race into comparing it to the time of the day where you've got 24 hours in that day. Yeah. And even a even a half and a full marathon can be between what two to five to six hours. And even for those guys doing a six hour marathon, it's a uh, you know quarter of a day basically and mentally that can help you get through through your races that works that works for you yeah i mean i just literally like visualize how many minutes of pain left and then try to tell myself hey that's not much like you're feeling good now you might not be feeling good soon but (laughs) that's that's part of the part of the job (laughs) we're close to the end here now I want to get to some specific churchy and GPS questions. Mate, what are your tips for, uh, for runners across the, the limestone park here in Brisbane and Ipswich? Very hilly course, all grass. Um, you know, it can range between three and six K depending on your age. I believe you've also got the quickest one K split up the hill, which is the first K of something in the two fifties. If, if Strava is correct that I've seen. So you're the man to ask. How do you run that? For Limestone Park, I mean, for me, I like in that race, I wanted to get away from the pack. And I knew that like if I was working on my own and the person behind me was working on their own, I could like probably beat them in a one-on-one. Whereas I feel like if we were together in a more strategic race, I wasn't too sure if I backed myself over that last kilometer to you know have them in a sprint finish. I basically went out and no one went with me and <laughs> yeah. And then by the end, there was about a 300 meter gap. Obviously you're pretty quick too, but you probably um, admittedly give me names of runners you've raced against who would have quicker, you know, 200, 400, even 800 speed than you. So gather you're more of an athlete that would, that would hold the pace longer out, so to speak, even now. Um, in current events, but what about what about the average churchy runner or um, athlete running over hills at um, GPS or in general? Um, Any tips there? And grass too. I'd probably say for in a race like the first third of the race, 
try to get into a position where you sort of want to finish. And then I guess like that middle third is sort of a matter of just grinding it out. You know, like they'll probably more than likely be people like around you who will be in the exact same boat as you. And the way you got to look at it is like, you see yourself better than them on the day. Like you got to mentally tell yourself like, Hey, I can beat that one guy. And then, you know, you overtake him. Hey, I can beat that one guy. But at the same time, like not going, not getting like in over your head, like saying, Oh, I can beat the guy at the front of the race when, you know, you might be able to beat him to the 2K marker because he's trying to win at that 6K marker. If you know what I mean? Like it's all that way you finish. So you got to like monitor where you are in that middle third. And then in that final third, that's when like the moves typically are made. Like you'll see the guys starting to die who have gone too ambitiously at the start. And then that's sort of like when you start, start to like try to pounce and you try to not really like pick it up, but try to stay as consistent as you can. And then if you can stay consistent, everyone, like everyone just over the time of race starts to get slower. Like it's just how racing goes. And so if you can like keep that pace and then when you get to say the top of limestone, like heartbreak Hill, you know, it's all downhill from there in terms of like the race. And so, you know, it's literally a matter of use that momentum as you come down that hill, I guess, go like into that bend onto the final stretch. And then at that point, you've got like a thousand boys from different schools cheering you on. And I mean, sure, most of them probably won't be like cheering for you. They'll be cheering for whatever school is next to you. But you just got to like tell yourself, hey, they're cheering for me. Like at the end of the day, there's like no difference. And so you got to use their energy, I guess, and try use it like against them. And so that's probably the main thing in terms of the, the hills and the actual course at Limestone. I mean, I've always been one to race in spikes. So that's typically what I would go for. But I mean, a lot of guys don't like have those sort of shoes. So first lap of limestone is always going to be tough if you've got multiple laps. And the idea is just to not, not go out too fast on the first one. You know, like those, those hills do, do take a lot out of you. The idea is when you get to like the top of the hill, you can't like think, oh, sweet, we're done. You need to like use that momentum, use the downhill and then like keep it going throughout the rest of the race, I guess, if that sort of makes sense i hope yeah so do you find it important in training then when you're doing hill runs or hill sprints to have an element where there may be a continuous tempo like a continuous effort over the hill as opposed to if you're constantly i feel if you're constantly sprinting or running up the hill and it's it's constantly reiterated that okay we've hit the top of the hill and and now we can chill out that that becomes kind of an automatic thing in racing so do you think mentally and physically in training to practice that um, before any yeah. run that's hilly? Yeah, I think so. Like, you know, you want to like, when you get to the top of the hill, don't stop, don't dawdle like around and like think, oh, I'm so tired. Try to turn around as quickly as you can and just start, like it doesn't have to be a sprint down. 
but like try to get that jog down so like you're getting your recovery i guess more so when you get to the bottom of the hill like of that yeah. easy jog down because if you do start to lose that moment like that idea of momentum when you get to the top of the hill it will carry through to the race and then when you do get to the top of hard break hill at limestone you're being thinking oh sweet like i made it when in reality you still got five <laughs> six hundred meters to go yeah and you're not allowed to take a break in cross country unfortunately is there a technique to run up hills or have you learned that naturally i've coached and heard of things about leaning into the hill not hunching over but just sort of working against gravity where you might lean a bit forward um other things include more arm movement and arm swing a higher knee lift for pumping the knees um i agree with like what you say about leaning into the hill you know like using that momentum to get you going the other thing i'd focus on is like keeping that knee drive high so like if you get your knees going up the hill you're like feet will follow whereas if you don't like you're just going to dawdle up you're going to find like your steps are a little bit shorter and then i guess if like you start to get tired with that the other thing like to focus on is your um like arms so like i'll tell myself like if you get your elbow up your other leg will come up like with it and so like essentially i what i try to do sometimes is when my legs get tired i move to like my arms and focusing on them and then when my arms get tired my legs have like recovered a tiny bit and usually by the time they're like tired again and the arms are still tired you're at the top of the hill and then most likely it's going to be another downhill after that you'd hope what about typically like how you, you run down the hill and how you might have your your foot strike often we we heel strike too much put the brakes on down the hill are you taking shorter steps down that hill or are you more opening up and land and landing sort of uh on your forefoot flat foot it depends like how steep and how long the hill is like there's that massive hill at about 2k at limestone that's probably like four or five hundred meters long and at that point i'm just like trying to lean forward and let gravity take me down and you know the longer your stride the easier it is because gravity is doing all the work essentially and so i tend to like try to bound i guess so get less steps in but like increase the stride length, I guess. And yeah. then, you know, there is times when coming off heartbreak hill it is a pretty steep downhill. And so that can be like a little bit dangerous taking those long jumps and it can like impact your legs a fair bit, just like the force, I guess, on yeah. the ground. So yeah. there, and I mean, rounding a corner, I'll not like shorten the stride, but keep it fairly similar and just let like literally gravity do the work like at that point it's the easiest running you'll get in that part of the race and as long as you like i guess don't switch off and you know attack it a tiny bit it should be it should still recover even though you are going faster yeah no the great tips and i think the, the downhill is often forgotten uh when we're running over hills that we emphasize so much on how we get up it but we forget down the hill and, and we we rest too much we get complacent and it's the part of the race where a, a runners could potentially overtake us if we're not 
focused on, on technique and getting a bit sloppy. So appreciate that advice. The next one's leaning in towards the end of uh, the interview, but it's around um, goal setting. And we'll get to your actual goals after this question, but how do you set goals? Do you, do you sit down with someone? Do you write anything down? Do you, you have you heard of the SMART goal, the specific measurable, uh, attainable, relevant and timely kind of system? Is it more just like time-based? The you know, three, five steeplechase time. What do you do for goals, Kai? Um, I'll typically, so at the start and the end of seasons, I'll sit down with like my coach and we'll discuss, you know, what's, what's the training plan for like this coming season and what do I want to do, I guess. And so I'll throw out like basic times and basic events that I want to hit. And then I guess throughout the season, like obviously you've had that like long-term goal for the end of the season, but you've got individual races that you can, you know, work on. And so, you know, you, you have to set the goal between like, hey, what races? And I got to target what event. And so the race the other week when I had the 5K, the goal going in was to go sub 1330. And there was no like, relevance on winning i guess or like race prep it was just a matter of let's go run a fast time and so that was like the goal at that point of time and i guess the two-week block like leading into it was all about that and then as soon as that's over you know you look towards the next race and so the next race was a 3k specific i had already like hit a time better than i'd hoped for in the um, 5k and so the 3k had like a lot less stress on the time base it was more a matter of hey let's get like a good race in let's get some race prep i guess and so obviously this is like a little bit tougher because you need that fast time to like qualify for better races and so getting like the idea of like racing again against other people and hitting like more specific splits and like paying attention to where you are exactly like every point in the race was a bit more of a focus for that 3k sounding that like, like uh, time time-based goals are what what you're um are do, are doing in your plans as opposed to you know i, I know runners who go into a race and they, they don't care about the time all they want to do is win and they'll they'll do anything to put themselves yeah. in that position is do you think that's more so for you though because you are quite young and you're still learning your ability you're not you're going into races maybe that you can't guarantee that, or no, you can never guarantee, but you don't know if you have potential to win. So it's too much of a risk. So if you, if you have these kind yeah. of process time-based goals, then they're a bit safer. Sure. And I mean, like towards the end of the season, when it is like that final race times don't matter there. So it is a matter of like, Hey, we've now you're actually like racing to win. And so when you come to say GPS day, you know, you want to maximize or maximize the amount of points you can get or minimize the like placing, I guess. Yeah. And so in that sense, times essentially go out the window and it's all a matter of showing up. Yeah, for sure. Um, this would lead nicely and then to your actual goals at the moment, but more so long-term. So if we're thinking of times right now, you're, you just, you've just passed 20 years old. You, you've got a focus 
by what I'm hearing around the 3,000, 5,000 and steeplechase. I know the steeplechase operates across 2K and 3K, but what are your goal times given a year, five years and that kind of thing? The 1321, let's get some perspective here, right? Your 1321 is only over 30 seconds away from the world record of in, in, indoor 5K, which I believe is Kinesia Beckley at a time of 1248 uh, or nine. And then we think of guys like Stuart McSwain, who are about a 13.05, I think he's, 13.05 guy on the outdoor 5K. And he's also about 30 seconds away from the outdoor 5K record. So I'm, I guess I'm giving perspective here about how much you think you can still improve. You've improved a lot, uh, particularly in the 5K, but the 3K to me is also standing out. What are your time goals, Kai, in the next few years? For the 5K, I'd probably say, like, I want to get around that 13-minute mark. You know, right now it's trying to get under 13, 13.5, I think, is a Commonwealth Games qualifier. So I'll probably try to tackle that in outdoor now because there'll be a lot of good races there. And then 3K, I mean, I probably won't run another 3K for six or seven months now because... We've got no more 3K meets, I guess. So that one's that one's a bit of a longer term. And I don't know, I'd like to get around that 740 mark, try to get a Stanford record maybe because my other two teammates were in within one second of it. So if we've got another two years to have another go, we can probably chase that down. And then I might, for the steeple, I'm sort of trying to get away, get away from it probably going to go for the 5k to 10k if i can yeah for my like collegiate career i like in that 5k you know i got i got to the end of the race and i thought i still had like a bit left in the tank in those like middle sections before we wow. started to pick up the pace and so i don't know if like when we did pick up the pace you know that tank's like irrelevant so hopefully i can get into a fast 10k at, in this outdoor season coming up and I mean, the goal is to there run 27.30 or below because that's the Commonwealth Games qualifier. It's like the next Olympics qualifier, I think. When are the yeah, next Com Games Olympics and what, what, how, many, how many athletes do they take in the, in the 3, 5 and 10K in the Com Games Olympics and when are they? Remind us of those particular things. Um, so it's in July of this year as the Commonwealth Games and yep. Worlds, like late July, early August or something around then. And so I think it's a limit of three per country. And again, those three have to like qualify with those times. And so I got to first run the time and then hopefully beat some of the older guys in a head-to-head -head race back on Australian soil to get me through do you have and to so, run in australia to, to get into the team for both com games and olympics or are these times over in america counting uh particularly by the fact they're also indoor as well not outdoor um a lot of the indoor doesn't necessarily count for outdoor there's like some tracks that aren't recognized globally for some odd reason and so you know some some races there count some don't but at the end of the day for qualifying 
we'll have like a Olympic trials or a Commonwealth Games trials, I'm fairly sure. So you'll have to race back in Australia for them. Like the only other way to get in is essentially be like the IAAF, like world rankings. If you're in the top 48 there, you're then selected through. And so that's like the, I guess, backup plan if you don't make it in the other way. Yeah, okay. And from what I know about the the rankings, aren't they like on an ongoing basis? A bit like tennis rankings. You, you can't just record a, a good time and, and expect to be up the rankings. Like winning one championship in tennis, you've got to like, it's got to be a continuous uh, record of good runs. Is that how it works? Yeah, I'm not sure how big the window is. I think it might be like within the last year and a half or something you have to run three races over the distance and then you're given points for like each race you know like if you win the olympics it's because it's such a high level race you'll get a lot of like bonus points whereas if you win some random track meet down at uq where no one's there you're probably going to get a few points of bonus and so that like helps boost the score and then it's your average across the your top three. Yeah, excellent, mate. I, I'm just thinking quickly back to that 5,000. I can only honestly think of a handful of guys who'd be quicker than you right now in Australia. If we did a 5K, hypothetically, on an outdoor track, I can think of Stuart McSwain. I can think of Jack Rayner. I can think of Brett Robinson. I can think of Ollie Hoare, uh, Dave McNeil. Um, there's five for you. Any, any names that you think I've missed? in those uh yeah just the uh, morgan mcdonald and yep. Tien and yeah so if we were to rank it again hypothetically right now you'd, you'd definitely be sitting i think in that top 10 and it um it's exciting to be amongst names like that particularly guys like um even mcswain and rayner they might seem a fair bit older than you at the moment but are still pretty young runners in their mid-20s robinson um into his 30s um same with guys like liam adams who we haven't mentioned but he's more of a longer runner so i guess your age is on your side you're, you've got the the you know training around you in terms of other athletes all the diet under control the motivation it's the right recipe to be setting you up um so i'm definitely looking forward to seeing how you, you'll go over the next few months with that I've got a few few last questions, actually, which um, have been dialed in by a few mates. What shoes are you wearing right now, both for um, fast sessions, tempos, and long runs and easy runs? Have you got two or three or four different selections of shoes at the moment? Uh, yeah, I got, I got a bit right now. So for easy runs, I've got... Nike just pegs and then I've also got um peg turbos which are unfortunately out of stock now so I can't get any more of those um but they're basically just all the easy runs all the long runs will be in them and then for track stuff and like tempos and longer stuff I'll switch to um vaporflies so basically do all my like long fast stuff in them and yep. then for races and some of the like quicker 400 meter reps on the track i'll whip out the dragonflies and use them to start moving and i mean i'll even use dragonflies in a 10k cross country race because they're they're very like responsive and they can get you through 
that whole distance. The um, strongest running event at the moment in Australia for Aussie runners, both male and female? Probably for women, it'd be the, the 1500. I think that's, I'd say the deepest field by, by the looks of it. I'm not really too sure. There might be one that I'm missing, but I'd probably say that for the women. And then for the men, I'd say it's probably the 10K, you know, the, the 5K is deep too. But I feel like the 10K has probably got a little bit more, I guess, like world-class talent sort of thing. And then the 800s also got a fair, fair few guys up there. Yeah, great. I think that 1500, though, you've got a lot of guys now. Um, Stuart McSwain sub 330, but between 330 and 335 to 340. They've got, I reckon there's probably 20, 20 blokes between that kind of time frame. Who's your biggest running idol at the moment or in the past that inspired you to um, be a better runner? I mean, I hate to, I hate for him to see this and realize it, but it's probably, probably Curran and Louis. <laughs> um, they're, they're definitely yeah. getting a big ego boost out of that one. I was able to look up to those guys and learn off them and the other guys at Gold Coast Runco. Curran was always pretty good, and then Louis was always decent, and then started to get better the more he, the more he ran. Yeah, he's running running well, hey. He's um he's, he's consistent with his running, Louis. Um, and he, he just ever so slowly continues to improve across his events. He did his Adapex 10K as well the other other month. So pretty impressive to see some more churchy runners and Jack Bruce running well too, um, as a churchy old boy around in the running community. Uh, final question, mate. Do you have any superstitions before races or training that you things you always do? Um, that may be quirky or um, mentally or physically with shoes or what you wear and that kind of thing? Um, I mean, I've got like a fairly like, I wouldn't really call it superstitious like training routine. It's more just like a set routine that I've always sort of done. And so I'm always doing that before the race. But then in terms of actual superstition, I've got some weird like thing where I like jump up on the line and so I like bring my knees to my chest like five times, like do five jumps, I guess. And that's just, I don't really know how else to describe it. It sounds almost corny describing it now. I guess um, this brings us to the end. So I, was, I really want to thank you for um, putting your hand up to do it. I only got hold of you about four days ago and we're now sitting here and we've been sitting here for almost three hours. And hopefully I can edit the actual thing to be shorter than that. So appreciate your generosity and I'm sure the Churchy community and the boys and Simes in the assistant coaches appreciate your insights and, and your input into, into your current running and how you recommend others to be running and training as well. So thank you very much. No worries. Happy to help. Yeah, we'll be in touch, mate. We'll be in touch. Good luck for your training and races coming up, eh? Thank you. Good luck to you guys. Cheers, mate.